Yeah, so I was just kind of curious, how's the Austin experience been so far for you? Like, how's, Well, mostly how's I've just been at been? work. <laughs> okay. I haven't yeah. really experienced the city much. Um, I, I've, I've gone out to eat maybe a couple of times um, with some folks, but, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have like a restaurant that you like so far? Is it one that's kind of stood out that you've enjoyed? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed Three Forks. I really enjoyed yes. Clark's Oyster Bar, mm. and um, oh, and I went to Fuga de Chao once, which was interesting. Right on. Yeah, I mean, those are all, like, really popular places, good selections for sure. Do you kind of live in the downtown area? Yeah, I'm on the east side. Oh, cool. <clears throat> right on. Like, right yeah, adjacent to downtown. Yeah, that area is just, like, booming right now. Um, I'm from Austin, born and raised, so I've, I've watched the evolution of the city the past 10 years, and it's, it's just turning into, like, one of the epicenters of the U.S., I feel like, right now. Oh, 100%. For the last 10 years, it's been the fastest-growing city in America. Absolutely. Island City, Queens, which was the fastest-growing neighborhood in New York. So I can, mm-hmm. I can kind of relate to like watching the massive jump and seeing like developers come in and seeing uh, to a certain degree, people being sort of displaced and stuff like that happening. Like, I mean, it's happening everywhere, but it's happening in great numbers in places like Long Island city and Austin. Yeah. Um, was it weird? Kind of, are you, where are you from? Are you from New York? I'm a military brat, so I'm not really from anywhere. Okay. How long did you live in New York city for? Uh, almost 20 years. Oh, right on. Yeah. So uh, take me back a little bit, you know, March of last year, COVID is kind of onsetting. And uh, I mean, to my understanding, um, you know, you were working at for Creek in the Cave in in New York, correct? Right. So I was a single owner operator. I didn't have any managers or anything. Uh, Lost all of my employees. Uh, And uh, New York shut down the day before St. Patrick's Day. So there was a curfew put in place. Um, I believe everybody was supposed to close at 10 p.m. Um, we weren't allowed to have any indoor dining. Uh, masks were mandatory. When the protests started, they um, upped the curfew the first month of or the first week of June uh, to 8 p.m. So that week, it didn't even make sense to even try to be open. That's like dinner shift. Um, right. So. We took a lot of hits just based on what was going on in the city and the way the city was handling uh, COVID, and it it was it was pretty bad in New York. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like it was a breeze. A lot of businesses were shuttered. A lot of venues, particularly venues in particular, were shuttered. And uh, the last stats that I looked at is that New York is going to lose 60 to 90 percent of their um, what do you call it of their like like the mom and pop theaters, like they're going to lose the vast majority of those. Wow. And uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for a lot of reasons, but New York being the sort of like cultural epicenter of the country because of Broadway and because of comedy and because of, um, you know, and because mostly because of Broadway, let's be honest. Um, Yeah. the hit that we took in the cultural sort of side of things, um, the event driven sort of stuff, it was, it was pretty devastating. 
I continued mm. to produce comedy outside throughout the summer. Um, I became a COVID compliant, uh, um, what do they call it? I became a COVID compliance officer for SAG. Um, and I uh, tried to produce for as long as I could. The last thing that I was able to do was uh, filming a SAG shoot of Bring Back Laughs on October 1st and 2nd, which I did with Supreme Robot Pictures. And um, it was a wildly successful uh, couple of nights. We had an amazing time. It was a beautifully shot, beautifully executed project. And uh, I came back to the creek after doing that and looked at my numbers and my accountant called me and was like, I don't understand what you're doing. And I was like, well, I'm just trying to hold on long enough to, you know, get the get 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 working again. And he was like, realistically, there's just no way. So I talked to a couple other venue owners. I talked to my family and um, ultimately, like we weren't even covering food costs, let alone mm. paying ourselves, you know. So, uh, and, at, and at that time I was down to one employee who was working in the kitchen who had originally been my bar manager. Um, and then I was taking orders. I was bagging the orders. I was bartending out of the window. I was monitoring the pinball machines that were outside. Um, cause we set pinball machines up outside so people could still play them. And I, uh, and then I was actually doing the deliveries. So I was like running to people in the neighborhood, dropping off food and then running back and answering the phones and like trying to get everything. How many hours a day do you think you were working at this time? Um, at that point we would come in between like noon and two and we would close down around 10. Um, okay. because by law we had to, I see. um, and then, and then I had, you know, I was picking up, I was, I was going to restaurant Depot once a week and picking up food for us and going to, um, and, and, I mean, I don't even think I had to do a single liquor buy. I mean, we ended up liquidating all of that stuff, as it were. Um, and I just, everything that wasn't nailed down, I sold. Um, anything I couldn't sell, I gave away. And what was left over, a little bit of artwork, that kind of stuff, that all went into a storage facility. I turned in the keys on December 1st. The lease was signed on February 1st for Austin. And I moved down here on March 1st, and we opened on April 1st wow yeah that's yeah. all like super quick i was gonna ask you kind of from the time i guess COVID hit until you shut down shop how long was that again i'm sorry what, what was the time you said you like officially so shut down it hit in march and then on december 1st i turned in the keys but we okay. kind of quit like october 12th might have been our last day of like being in service mm. and then did you kind of how i mean did you find the venue down here fairly quickly uh kind of Speak to us a little I bit was about flown that. down here um, by a, a company called Rough Cut LLC, mm -hmm. and they had me look at about twelve different venues, and we settled on uh, the Barracuda, what was what used to be the Barracuda, and uh, basically, um, you know, between you, me, and the wall, I actually had another venue picked out that I liked a little bit better because I felt like it was more versatile, mm. but in order for us to be open by April 1st, this was the place that was the most appropriate for it. Um, and the space does have some challenges. Uh, I already feel like I wish it was bigger, you know, but, yeah. uh, <clears throat> but you know, on the other side, this is the perfect size room to work out material. And mm -hmm. so the venue is working absolutely beautifully. 
and awesome. uh, we have two stages. There's one indoor and one outdoor. Uh, we do the majority of the open mics outside. Um, and then uh, artists can basically decide whether they prefer to perform inside or outside, which is nice because then if folks don't feel like, you know, being like trapped inside or whatever, or if they're still feeling a little bit nervous about the situation about the pandemic, they can, they have another op, they have another option, you know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Was there a, like kind of a, was, where did the April 1st date come from? Was that just kind of a date that you set in your mind of like, this is when we have to be open? Um, well, for a comedy club, I feel like saying that you're going to open April 1st builds in a certain amount of plausible deniability. Just in case you don't get, <laughs> just in case you don't make your deadline, you can just be like, April Fool's, it'll be the 15th or whatever. There you go. Yeah, so I think that was really the sort of tongue in cheek reason. Um, for that's it, actually yeah. clever. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that at first, but it's pretty funny. What, yeah. what was it like kind of coming down here? I mean, you go, you come from NYC where, you know, they're really astringent about COVID regulations. You come down to basically the Wild West, you know, nobody's really right. wearing masks. It's kind of like nobody really gives a fuck. Was that sort of a culture shock for you a little bit? Like, what was kind of your initial thoughts when you got down here? A little bit, you know, I, I felt like, I felt like, I don't know how to say this. Well, so my mother lives in North Carolina, and that's actually where I got vaccinated. So I was her caretaker for a bilateral <laughs> knee replacement. And um, so I was with her for the month of January. And I would say that, like, North Carolina was kind of like the – was, like, kind of like a step – the Wild West, <laughs> like you said. Yeah. Um, so I, I was a little bit prepared in that capacity. But, um, but to be really honest with you – I, uh, I was, I was a little bit nervous, you know what I mean? And I felt like there were still some things that were just common sense things that came out of the pandemic that we should all be continuing to do. Like if I'm sick, I should wear a mask. If I, um, if I have to be out and I should not work if I'm sick. Right. You know, like all these sort of things that we learned, there's no reason to not have like touchless soap dispensers and touchless, um, uh, paper towel dispensers and, we actually have an air scrubber um, that we, it's a military grade um, ozone um, generator that mm. basically weighs down dust particles and pollen and cold virus and flu virus and COVID virus and all that stuff just sort of gets taken out of the air. So while we do have folks here, we also have put some uh, measures in place that seem to me like common sense measures given the world that we're living in now. And I hope that I continue to see sanitizing stations and stuff like that when I go into restaurants and retail stores. Like, I think it's okay for us to all just agree to be a little bit more clean, you know, than we than we had been before. Oh, no, absolutely. I completely agree with you. It's funny. I was having this conversation yesterday with a couple of people, you know, and I've even noticed this about myself. And I didn't really think about this until it got brought to my attention. But um I, I got COVID-19 back in January, but prior oh, to no. that and then afterwards, I haven't had a cold or really gotten sick. Like I usually get like a bad sinus infection like once a year, usually when the temperature drops and it didn't happen this year. And I think I have to attribute some of that probably to wearing a mask. Um, you know, the COVID the experience aside. Yeah. 
the entire time I was masked, I never, I, I didn't get sick. When I came down here, I got, I caught a cold. I know who I caught it from. Um, but I caught a cold from somebody and it was just, it was three days of me just sort of feeling a little under the weather. And I was like, Oh my God, it's because I'm not wearing masks anymore. Like I, you know what I mean? So I, a lot of people just feel very invincible once they get uh, done with their vaccination and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. And I feel Mm. like, um, I kind of had to like rein myself back in and start taking vitamins again and all that stuff. Right. Right. I kind of enjoy wearing a mask. I'm not going to lie. There's kind of this element of me to where like, because I've, I've lived here my whole life. It's like, I know a lot of people. So if I want to kind of be a little incognito and like go to the store and not like run into somebody I know, it's kind of nice exactly. sometimes. Like I feel very private with the mask on, which I'm, I'm not mad about. Um, so right. I will kind of miss that element a little bit when that does go away. Cause I actually didn't really mind wearing a mask. It kind of became very commonplace to me. I looked at it as like, any other garment i kind of felt like it was like socks and underwear at this point so i wasn't really i got so conditioned for it but um yeah it's gonna be weird when it like actually does finally go away and you see everybody walking around and just seeing their faces (laughs) yeah um i'll backpedal a little bit where tell me how you kind of got into this into the entertainment industry you have a really impressive resume and i was just kind of curious where a lot of that um kind of originated from sure Uh, so i graduated from radford university with a degree in theater um specializing in environmental theater and i uh came to new york after working for a nonprofit organization called city at peace that was in dc so i lived in dc for two years and then i moved up to new york um to do theater and had a terrible time trying to break in um i wanted to direct i wanted to um work uh i wanted to work and uh, these beautiful classic theaters that I've been dreaming about since I was a kid. And uh, I started working for 13th Street Repertory Theater, um, which is a very odd place. And I ran a handful of shows. And um, because of the shows that I ran, I met somebody who was working, uh, who was doing a theater company, had started a theater company in Long Island City. And I became his associate artistic director I worked with him um, for a couple of years and then my grandmother passed away and left me just enough money to buy the business and go about 90 grand into debt. So I went ahead and did it. Um, I had two business partners at the time and the place was uh, like a reggaeton dive bar that would do like DJ parties and stuff like that from time to time and like a little bit of music. So I continued on their business model for the first like six months or so. Um, and it wasn't working. I bought out my first business partner, um, about 90 days in, I think. And then the second business partner I bought out, um, in December of 07. So I bought the place on August 1st of 2006. Um, so December of 07, um, I bought out my second business partner and then I switched over to full comedy. And the reason I did that was because I had been working with musicians and they were stealing my gear and tagging up the neighborhood. And I was working with artists, but they were very demanding and they had a lot of needs and really what their needs were, I couldn't meet because they were too were dreaming of these beautiful theaters since they were kids and they wished that they could be in one of those. And what I was doing sort of like, uh, you know, two subway stops away from Broadway um, looked like high school community theater or something. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't, we didn't have the production value. We didn't have the budget for that kind of stuff. And I started working a little bit with um, comedians. This, this guy named John F. O'Donnell came to me and asked if, if he could start doing a comedy show. And 
he brought in Anthony Jeselnik and Eric Andre and like all of these amazing names, right? <clears throat> and I really enjoyed working with them. So uh, I started sort of like kind of poking around and was like, oh, how does this comedy thing work? How do the comedians like, you know, where do they, where do they hang out? Like, what are they, you know, what are they about? And I realized that they really kind of were like these like separate islands that were all floating around and there wasn't really like a, a real cohesive like community for the comics that were on the come up, the com comics that were trying to make it. So, and, and also in general, they're under, comedians are truly and tragically under advocated for. They have no HR department. They have no retirement plan. They have no, they have no way of, of, uh, sustaining themselves like there's no programs for them like there are for actors that are out of work or like there are for jazz musicians or like you know what i mean yeah so the lack of advocacy was really the thing that sort of pulled me in and uh and i got to work with this amazing comedian named sean Patton, who um and sean there's there's a there was a big swath of comics but sean was um sean was kind of like their 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 little their like hometown hero like he was from louisiana and he was he's just he's brilliant he's a brilliant stand-up comedian and um, he did a set out. one I'm not, day. I'm not oh yeah, you should definitely him, so check, check him out. out. You'll love yeah. him. Um, he, so uh, Sean uh, did a set one night and I couldn't figure out why the comics weren't being, not that they weren't being nice to me, but they, they, they were like keeping their distance from me. And I didn't really understand that. And then Sean did a set where he talked about having OCD. And I realized, I was like, oh, these guys need me to be the one that makes the first move in a way. <laughs> like, not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just walked up to him after a set and I gave him a hug and I was like, we're friends now. And he looked at me and he went, okay, great. And then from that day on, it was just full comedy. Seven days a week, the comics started to like, you know, incorporate me in, in some of the creative sides of what they were doing. Um, a comic named Joe List asked me, um, I, I used to take comics out to lunch and just ask them, you know, like what they needed and to see if I could help meet their needs. And um, Joe was the first comic that asked me, well, what do you want? And I was like, honestly, like total fangirl. I was like, honestly, I just really want at some point for Colin Quinn and Janine Garofalo to perform at the Creek. Mm. And so he got on the phone with Colin Quinn that day and told him to come to the show that night. And so Colin dropped in, he did a set. And a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from his manager asking if I would let him use the space to develop a, um, a, a one man show that eventually became unconstitutional that I was asked to direct. So I directed off Broadway at Bleecker Street Theater and Cherry Lane Theater, um, two super successful runs of unconstitutional. And it was such an amazing experience getting to do script development and getting to block and getting to um, just sort of like put on like a truly beautiful, amazing production that was relevant and that meant something to me. And yeah. I'm directly descended from John Adams and John Quincy Adams. And I think when I told them that, that's when they were like, okay, you can have the job. <laughs> Cause I was nice. kind of an, a constitution nerd already, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a really beautiful, it was a really beautiful experience. And I've, uh, I think that's probably one of the things I'm the most proudest of. Um, I've worked with a number of um, other festivals, um, like Red Clay Comedy Festival in Atlanta, Georgia. I've worked with, um, in an unofficial capacity, with um, Just for Laughs in the New Faces department. Mm -hmm. um, I've produced stuff at South by Southwest. I've worked at Moon Tower. Um, 
mostly just talent wrangling, helping. Um, and when I say worked at Mintar, I didn't get paid or anything. Like I just, you know, I just did work there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think. And then I attended a couple other festivals. But then um, a few years ago, like five years ago, six now, I'm not sure if we're counting last year. Um, the, uh, one of the guys, Louis J. Gomez from Legion of Skanks, uh, sent an email to Christine Evans and I saying, uh, we, I, I wanted, I want to do a festival. I want it to be called Skank Fest and I want to do it in six weeks. And we went, okay, cool. So we built Skank Fest from the ground up in six weeks. And our first one was Doug Stanhope. Um, and then we had like all the tough crowd comics, like Bobby Kelly and Rich Voss. Um, I think Nick DiPaolo was at the first one. Bonnie McFarlane. Um, I'm pretty sure Jessica Kirsten was there. Just like, just a ton of like showstoppers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we did that in my little in my little space, and we had like 400 people. We were crammed to the gills. It was like, I mean, we we were profitable out of the gate for a festival. Like it, it sold out immediately. Like it was just, it was a really incredible experience. And um, we continue to grow we moved to brooklyn bazaar we um and now we're going to be doing one in houston at the secret theater on november 5th through the 7th oh wow that'd be cool and that will that still be called Skankfest? yes it will be okay much to my chagrin awesome that's what's up that's super cool yeah i've i've yet to come to creek in the cave i'm gonna have to come check it out i don't i don't live super close to downtown i'm a little bit more on the outskirts of the city but um I haven't really been down there much these days, but I definitely plan on coming and checking it out soon. Yeah, one of the things I like to ask people this, because I, I know this is kind of a broad question, but like, do you have a favorite movie of all time? And what is your favorite band of all time? And if you can't oh, just boy. give me one, you can give me just like a few that you really like. Um, Pink Floyd is my favorite band of all time. Uh, and uh, my favorite movie... Uh... Jesus, like I'm thinking of like what dreams may come, Pan's Labyrinth, mm, um, and then one. like my my secret one that I don't like, I don't really tell anyone is uh, I really love the movie Monkey Bone. I don't think I've seen that. Who who's in it? Brendan Fraser, Chris Kattan, uh, who else is in it? Whoopi Goldberg plays uh, either the devil or God. I can't. Oh, the devil, I think. Okay. I haven't I haven't seen it in a few years, but it's one of those like I'm a huge Tim Burton fan and he was one Me of the too. executive producers on it. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, I'll definitely <clears throat> yeah. have to check that out. It's like yeah. a really goofy dumb comedy, but it's so funny and it has like an animated monkey that runs around and it's just it's hilarious. Is it from the nineties? Probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love that they, they don't make movies like they used to, man. I love stuff from the eighties and nineties, so I'll definitely have to For check sure. that out. Um, <laughs> For sure. But yeah, Rebecca, I appreciate your time today. This meant a lot. I, I, you know, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do the show. Absolutely. Trapped in Austin Podcast.